It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented by Film Seizure. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that movies of the 70s and early 80s owed a lot to The Exorcist? Well, it is almost impossible to think that The Exorcist doesn't have a lot of its own success to owe to this week's film, Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby from 1968. And gosh, there is a lot to unpack here with this movie. So let's start by saying that this is the return of John Cassavetes to this program. We last saw him in 1982's The Incubus, and in this he plays Guy Woodhouse, the somewhat sarcastic actor-husband of Mia Farrow's Rosemary. And by this time, he had already directed a few films, but was a fairly well-liked and handsome actor. Obviously, Mia Farrow is the entire focus of this movie. Initially, Polanski would have liked a Tuesday Weld type of character who was a little bit more robust, kind of girl-next-door type of person. And if he couldn't get her, then he wanted his fiancée, Sharon Tate. He changed his mind to cast Farrow, and she was much skinnier than he really wanted, but it most definitely benefits the film later on. And she had only been in a few movies prior to this, but this was more than anything basically her ultimate claim to fame. Though I suppose you could put an asterisk on that because of the multitude of films that she made with her husband Woody Allen and all that comes with Woody Allen. For as well known as she is and for all the films that she would make that was of some import at least, she was never really nominated for an Academy Award, despite being nominated for seven Golden Globes. So, that's a little weird. But yes, let's talk about Mr. Roman Polanski. Polanski is of Polish-Jewish descent and was born in Paris, France. And his parents would be assigned to the Krakow ghettos uh, during World War II, or at least during the Nazi uprising. Uh, before his father was transferred to one of the many concentration camps in Austria. His mother was taken to Auschwitz, uh, where she was ultimately killed soon after arriving. Roman ultimately escaped the Krakow uh, ghetto and would kind of wander the countryside, hiding from German forces for many years. And he would later be reunited with his father, and they returned to Krakow, where his dad would remarry. He was fascinated with film and began working in Poland before coming to America. And with the help of producer friend Robert Evans, Polanski would eventually get the opportunity to make Rosemary's Baby. And the pair would reunite to work on 1974's Chinatown, which is highly regarded as one of the better films of the decade and perhaps of all time. In fact, uh, we did an episode on it and its sequel, The Two Jakes, on Film Seizure back in May. And it should be noted also that Faye Dunaway's look and dress in that movie was heavily inspired by Polanski's mother. Naturally, tragedy would follow Polanski as he was married to Sharon Tate and they were both soon-to-be parents when she was killed by members of the Manson family in August of 1969. Polanski still works, but he's exiled from the United States. He was arrested in 1977 for the sexual assault of 13-year-old Samantha Galley, and she had modeled uh, some swimsuits for him at Jack Nicholson's home, of all places. 
Uh, he was indicted on six charges, including rape. However, Galley agreed to drop all but the one charge for unlawful sexual intercourse with a minor. And he was to accept this plea bargain for 90 days of psychiatric observation. And by the time that he agreed to that plea bargain, he had already been in prison for 42 days and was released on probation with time served. However, he had heard that the judge overseeing the case, Lawrence J. Rittenband, was planning to throw out the plea bargain and then throw the book at him and go ahead uh, to sentence Polanski for 50 years in prison. The day before sentencing, Polanski boarded a plane for London and left never to return. Over the decades since, Polanski would be arrested a few more times for alleged sexual assault, false imprisonment, and seduction of a minor. And due to dual citizenship between France and Poland, he's often been protected from extradition. But let's be honest, Polanski has often escaped his various perversions with little to no consequence. And he's since been kicked out of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences. So, yeah, he's a monster, but he makes some really good movies, and it's a real case of needing to separate the art from the artist. So, all right, here's the deal with Rosemary's Baby. Young married couple Rosemary and Guy Woodhouse move into an apartment in the Bramford, a large, very gothic-looking building in New York City. Guy is an actor, and Rosemary is essentially a housewife. Before moving into the building, they learn that the apartment that they are taking was the home of an older lady who died just a few days before it was shown to the couple. And they realize that before she died, this old lady had moved a secretary, a piece of furniture, uh, that to move it to block a closet that had nothing of real import in it, just a vacuum and some towels. So that's kind of odd. Also odd, their old landlord Hutch, who was played by Maurice Evans, who was Dr. Zayas in Planet of the Apes, tells them about all the weird shit that has gone on at the building. Satanic worship, suicides, witchcraft, murder, it's all been done there. Not long after moving in, Rosemary befriends a lady named Terry, who was a recovering drug addict being rehabilitated by an old couple known as the Castavets. Terry is wearing a charm given to her by the Castavets that has a like this bizarre little bobble on it with a peculiar scent. And after Terry kills herself by jumping out the Castavets window, uh, the couple befriends Rosemary and give her a similar charm. Later, she's seemingly drugged by a dessert made by many Castavets uh, on the night that Rosemary and Guy plan on conceiving a baby. And she has an hallucination or a dream or a nightmare of being part of a satanic ceremony where she is essentially impregnated by a demon. She believes that this is not a dream or an hallucination or a vision, but it's actually real. But when she wakes up the next morning, she is covered in claw marks. And Guy tells her that he was kind of drunk himself and he had sex with her while she was knocked out which is also odd but as time passes guy kind of gets a little distant around her sometimes loses his temper around her uh, she goes to see dr hill who's played by charles groden to learn that she is pregnant guy who has become attached to the castavets 
probably because John Cassavetti's name is very similar. I, I don't know. I'm just making that up, maybe. But he wants to tell the meddlesome couple about the pregnancy, and they force upon Rosemary a new doctor named Sepperstein. And he's played by Ralph Bellamy. But the doctor then, this new doctor, basically passes down rules about not reading any books or listening to her friends and generally kind of isolating her from having outlets of learning and communication about being pregnant. However, she will be taking herbs from many Cassavets instead of the regular prenatal vitamins. Now, over time, Rosemary starts to feel pains, and she also just decided one day that she wants to cut her hair really, really short. She loses sleep, she loses energy, and she's also losing weight. Hutch comes to see Rosemary, and while he's pleased to hear that she's you know, pregnant and such, he's also really, really concerned about the way that she looks. Hutch is also quite suspicious of the cast events, and he was to meet with Rosemary to explain to her some of the concerns that he's had, but he suddenly takes ill and falls into a coma. And as more time passes, uh, the pains that she's feeling in her womb is getting worse and worse and worse. And she's also losing color in her face, and she's getting these dark circles around her eyes. She's really not looking too good. At a party where she reveals to her friends about her pregnancy, her friends tell her that the pains that she's having is not right. Uh, she needs to go back to Dr. Hill because Sapperstein is either lying to her or doesn't know what he's doing or he's hiding something from her. Guy flips the fuck out over this, over her decision to get a second opinion, saying that it just simply isn't fair to Sapperstein. Oh, and she doesn't want any more of those herbal drinks from many Castavets. But during their fight, her pain suddenly stopped. And then things then progress normally and somewhat happily. That is until just a few weeks before the birth. Hutch dies but did regain consciousness just long enough for him to have a book sent to Rosemary about witchcraft. From that, she deduces that Roman Castavet is actually an anagram for Stephen Mercado, the son of a known Satanist. She refuses the Castavets to be near her or especially after the baby is born, and Dr. Sapperstein arranges for the Castavets to be sent out of town so Roman can see some of his favorite places because he's apparently only got a few weeks or possibly a month left in his life. But after the book is thrown away by Guy, she gets a couple of new ones and soon discovers that her husband and her doctor are also involved. She tries to get help from Dr. Hill, but he believes Rosemary is nuts and calls Saperstein to basically come and get her and then involve, and then he involves Guy in all of this. And as she goes into labor, Saperstein sedates her, and when she wakes up, Guy tells her that first the baby was fine and that it was a son, but then later she's told that the baby had complications and had passed away. But later, she can hear a baby crying. And they kind of pass it off as it being the new neighbor's kid. But when she discovers that closet, which was blocked when she first was shown the apartment, has a secret passage to the Castavet's apartment, 
There she finds the congregated members of this coven rejoicing over the child in a black bassinet. The child, who has, quote, his father's eyes, hooves for feet, and claws for hands, which we do not see, by the way, is the child of Satan who will rise up to rule the world. Guy explains that they'll be well compensated and that they should have their own child, but Rosemary spits in his face. Roman Castavet then urges Rosemary to be a mother to the child, and reluctantly she does when she hears the baby crying from being rocked too hard, leaving us to basically wonder if she only cares for this demonic child, or if she's now planning on being part of the coven, or if there's anything that she can do to prevent this child's ultimate rise as an evil ruler. So let's get to my three things that I liked about Rosemary's Baby. First, this movie is quite unnerving. I mean, like completely and totally unnerving. But not how you might think. Throughout the film, we see Rosemary meet various odd characters, in particular, Minnie Castavet. And Minnie is so overbearing and so nosy. And you can just feel how frustrated Rosemary is. She sometimes feels as though she never has a moment to herself. Minnie constantly asks if she can do something for Rosemary, thrusting herself into every aspect of her life. And she constantly brings her the herbal foods for her pregnancy, which, of course, we all know is making Rosemary sick. And, you know, whenever you think there's an opportunity for Rosemary to do a thing on her own or not have Minnie involved, Something always happens to where Minnie immediately knows exactly what's going on and what's up. As someone who often likes to have a measure of privacy myself, I would have screamed after about two minutes of this woman's constant presence and involvement with all things in my life. Second, this one is probably going to go against some of the contemporary opinion on the film. You see, the movie isn't quite as highly regarded by new viewers today as it was just 20 or 30 years ago. And that's probably because it's a little too slow moving. As I said a couple weeks ago, slow burn horror was in thanks to movies like this or The Exorcist. Gothic horror has been a thing that's been around for the better part of the last 50 years leading up to this point, but it wasn't exactly slow burn. This movie really doesn't move quickly. It takes its time. It tells a story about a monster that will be born, but never shows it. It doesn't really kick in until the climax. And the movie is less about witchcraft or Satan or the end times. I see this as a movie about a woman's loss of agency. It was Guy's career that is furthered by giving up his wife's womb to this group, and they will give him fame and success in his acting career. Rosemary is raped by, well, I mean, she's raped by the devil. She is not allowed to be consoled by her friends or seek the doctor that she wants. She's twisted up into the lives of the coven inside this building. She's somewhat trapped by her pregnancy. And I mean that in the sense that she doesn't want to have an abortion. But when the baby is born and she finds it, she's urged to be its mother. She doesn't have to join, but she's raising the child for the witches and the Satanists. It's heavily implied that she should be a mother to the child because it would have, more or less, be her duty. 
that preys upon what is expected of a woman once she gives birth. Not saying that more ladies should abandon their children for the sake of freedom. I'm just saying that it is always expected that a woman who gives birth should always be that child's mother regardless of anything. Remember, this demon child is the product of being raped by a demon. Regardless of being raped, she is expected to be the child's mother. Now, some might say that this movie isn't very scary. Some might even go so far as to say that it doesn't quite work with its themes in the present day because everything it plays with in its toolbox is almost too plausible. To me, I see this as a pretty good social study as well as a character study of expectations. Now, thirdly, Mia Farrow is fantastic in this. I'm actually surprised that she did not get an Oscar nomination for this. Ruth Gordon, who played Minnie, not only was nominated, but she won. Farrow goes from sane to completely rambling over the course of a couple of hours. When we first see her in this movie, she's young, hopeful, beautiful, in love. By the time it gets to the scene in which she's trying to explain everything to Dr. Hill, she's broken. She's frail. She doesn't look the same. You know, she's seemingly at her complete wit's end. She's two completely different characters in this movie. And she tries to regain her agency by and control over her safety as well as her baby safety. But, and maybe this is the biggest twist of all, she's completely unable to. She is overpowered and outnumbered everywhere she turns. In the end, she isn't victorious. She's resigned to be the mother to a child for the group of Satanists. And what's more, in the first act, the way that she's constantly talking about her husband's credits is hilarious. It sounds like a rehearsed bit. She says the exact same thing, the exact same way, to whoever she is discussing it with. It becomes almost a running gag. And even if it wasn't meant to be a running gag, I got a chuckle out of it every time. So that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. Don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday and a new installment of Monster Mondays each Monday on FilmSeizure.com as well as places where fine podcasts are found like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Additionally, hop on over to Facebook and Twitter to follow us by just searching for Film Seizure. You can also check out new posts at my website, bmovieanima.com, each and every Friday. So until next week, stay spooky.